Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Girls on Film. I'm Anna Smith and I hosted this in front of a live audience at home in Manchester. Enjoy. Hello everyone, welcome to Girls on Film at Home. It is so good to be back. We love coming here. It's great to see so many smiling faces. I have some amazing guests, one of whom you know is coming on later. Special interview with Maxine Peake. First of all, I'd like to welcome our two film critics. Our first guest is a reporter for BBC Talking Movies. She's also set up Electra Media and has given TEDx talks about the way famous women are portrayed in the media, which makes her a perfect guest for us. Please welcome Emma Jones. Our next guest is an author, scriptwriter, former chief film critic for The Times and a campaigner for Times Up UK, Bird's Eye View and Women in Hollywood. She was also on the very first episode of Girls on Film. Yay. I'm very pleased to welcome back Kate Muir. Kate, come and sit. Join me here, join me here. Uh, quick question for you, which I haven't asked you to prepare. When people find out what I do for a living, they often ask, what's your favourite film? Not interested in that one. What I am interested in is when people say, tell me a hidden gem that I wouldn't have seen. I sometimes say, take shelter, because a lot of people haven't seen that, and recently leave no trace. Have you got any little gems up your sleeve? Emma. So you need to watch out for a film called Atlantique or Atlantics and it's by uh, Matty Diop. She was the first uh, female director of colour ever to get into the competition at Cannes and uh, it's a very haunting beautiful love story. It got the jury prize at Cannes I think or else the Grand Prix. It was certainly it got the, the Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah. It was, it yeah. was the runner-up at Much Cannes deserved. and it will get a very tiny release probably in, in some form unless it ends up on a streaming service but make sure you do check out um, that gem by a, a female director and reviewed on our can episode in fact how so, wonderful yes. one I missed I'm you so are sorry. on target there <laughs> excellent yeah. because you you're more on the activism side now in terms of <laughs> in terms of films is that right Kate yeah I'm doing lots of stuff with Time's Up and Bird's Eye View and all those sort of things yeah so it's exciting things what can we expect from Time's Up next well there's lots of campaigning for 50-50 by 2020 for directors and writers in film um, so we're very very keen on that and keen to shout out about it and there have been some big changes at the BFI and I think we're seeing big changes also in the crossover between television and film and some really interesting stuff happening there with writers working on both sides. That is very interesting thank you. Yeah. So let's talk about something that's in Mars now and which some people here may have seen it is Late Night give us a clap if you've seen Late Night which is showing here at home Manchester okay a little smattering of people. So it's directed by Nisha Ganatra it's written by Mindy Kaling stars Emma Thompson as Catherine Newbury a talk show host who reluctantly hires an inexperienced writer called Molly played by Mindy Kaling herself and Catherine is pretty vile to Molly initially um, but gradually learns the value of collaborating with a fresh voice. I came to tell you this year is your last. What? Who are you? I'm a new writer. A new female writer. Yeah, I can see that, Brad. 
think about why the show is bad. She's coming back. Don't push me. And come up with ways to fix it. The headline of my analysis is complacency. I'll tell you what doesn't work. A newcomer coming in and giving me her assessment of my comic persona. I will not be marginalized because no one here looks like me. She's not trying to silence your strong female woman of color spirit. Hashtag me too, blah, blah, blah. You're a new writer with no experience. Write something. Okay. So this is a comedy made by a woman that tackles issues like diversity and gender head on. And it stars Emma Thompson. All things I love. I didn't find it consistently funny, but I'm very glad it exists. Kate, where do you stand on this film? I did find it consistently funny and I've seen it twice now and I just was amazed at the level of comedy that was sustained because these are really difficult issues and they're quite serious, some of them, and it's done with a certain lightness and going mm. into that whole Me Too territory mm. and the kind of equality territory, you can really, really bore people and I mm -hmm. think Mindy Kaling is very, very good at just gently leaping over it and sort of taking the mickey out of herself and both of those leads are willing to kind of humiliate themselves in all sorts of ways they're very brave about what they're doing in that film and i think emma thompson's performance is on my oscar sort of list i think it's a great character and it's such a great character for her isn't it i mean we all want to see her doing a talk show now emma where did you stand on this I'm of the version of it of giving it three solid stars. I agree with you, Kate, in the sense that the lightness of touch in terms of those diversity jokes. I love the fact that uh, she was referred to as a, a diversity hire. And I love the fact that Emma Thompson got to grips with the fact that over the age of 50, women are surgically removed from television. I thought that was about time that somebody, you know, put a put a face on that. What I really didn't quite get to grips with were the characters. I'm not so impressed with Emma Thompson's performance. I thought it was a bit Devil Wears Prada. In fact, I wondered for most of the film if Mindy's first choice had been Meryl Streep. And I didn't uh, really like the characters. I thought actually as well, the male characters were all stereotypes. And this is something that we really accuse men of writing uh, women as two dimensional characters. But I really felt that Mindy Kaling's characters were not as successfully drawn as they could have been. I think that's true, but isn't that just about you know, redressing the balance, Kate? I disagree. I thought the male characters were written variously and, and differently. And, and there were the ones who said, oh, you're going to sleep with me in three weeks. And there were the ones who were sympathetic to her. And there was sort of a working class male character who sort of identified with her. Emma Thompson's husband was a great character. Yeah, John well. Lisko. He's fantastic. Brilliant, yeah. He? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he played that so softly. I thought mm. there were lots and lots of kind of interesting little details going on here. And the other thing is that Mindy Kaling was indeed a diversity hire and that word was used about her when she was working on The Office. And NBC had a scheme where they took brown people and plunged them into the all-white working team of The Office. And only if they did really well over a year did they get to stay. Just to be put in that position and to kind of recover from it and to write about it so wittily and so generously I think she's just fantastic. I, I love it. I think what is really important is a, a film which, again, does with comic flair in the writing for sure, does address the atmosphere that women often face. 
I don't know if any of you saw Their Finest, which was a film with Gemma Arterton yeah. with uh, Lonnie Shervik at the at the helm about a, a writer in the 1940s getting to write the slop, the romantic bit that they thought only only women would want. And it was very interesting that, yes, 70 years after the war, I'm very sure that this was a very accurate portrayal of a, of a writing room. Yeah, it's really interesting yeah. because, you know, I, I was the only woman in, in an all-male office and I was their boss in the 90s. And I was thinking, maybe things have changed. You watch this go, no, they probably haven't. I love the way in this film that they, they literally, they've turned the lady into um, a place where all the men go to take a shit. I mean, how symbolic yeah. is that? And they don't even stop when she arrives. <laughs> but you know what I liked, and maybe this isn't right, but I loved her clothes. She had the most brilliant kind of black. Oh my God, those suits. tuxedos. <gasps> and she wore these fantastic kind of clumpy shoes and took off her kind of high heels. But her, the tailoring... Yeah, was superb. I think the tailoring is very important. To the five stars the for the tailoring. <laughs> I would say I would agree with you. Three stars for the movie. Five for the tailoring. Yeah. Five for the intent. Five stars for the intent. Okay, at least. good. Yeah. So that was late night, mm. and we have more Tom Emma Thompson this week. Actually, um, she is starring in Men in Black mm. International, the fourth film. Now this hasn't screened yet, but mm. um, she reprises her role as Agent O. Big difference in this one is the two main characters are new agents played by Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, mm. who's a lady. But what I thought is it's interesting to see that quite a lot of movies lately have done this kind of whether it's gender yeah. what do you call it gender flipped or putting a female in a lead role which traditionally went to a male which of course we should be welcoming in theory but it's kind of interesting to think about whether sometimes it's a little bit tokenistic maybe let's have a little look at the trailer which plays to that point let's have a look we've never faced a threat like the hive they can take the form of anyone I haven't seen that before. Oh. Even our own agents. Do we have a plan? You know, sometimes you have to trust your gut. Men in Black has been compromised and trusts no one. Do we protect the Earth? And that means everyone and everything on it. Yeah, baby! We are the Men in Black. The men and women in black. The men and women in black. They didn't think to actually call it that, though, did they? Um, it reminds me of a line in Dark Phoenix. Uh, do you remember there's a line in that where they say, Jennifer Lawrence sort of says, shouldn't it be ex-women because we're doing everything around here? In theory, yes, good point. Is it a little bit obvious, though? Why don't they just do women in black? I don't understand that. Yeah. And it could be like the Scottish <laughs> Widows ad, you know, everybody kind of, um, and, and, you know, really, really grim. Kate, are there any, gen <laughs> are there any gender flip films you've enjoyed? Well, you know, actually, I rewatched Ocean's 8 Ooh. in a sort of mistaken moment the other <laughs> night. And I was thinking the previous ones were done by Steven Soderbergh. This was done by Gary Ross mm. and written by Gary Ross. And, you know, it was such a great cast. You had sort of Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett and all these people and Anne Hathaway. And they should have been fantastic. And yep. there was great chemistry between them. And it was written by a man. And so he just made the woman do things that they ought to do, like go shopping and you know they need lipstick before they can function in society <laughs> mm. it was all about that and it, and you know all the dress up at the met ball and what were they going to wear and you know it would have been so much cleverer if you'd got not a man imagining a woman but a woman mm. actually being a woman to write that and i think it could have been great it could do with another rewrite 
So yeah. we have another. Let's reboot it. Actually, directed and <laughs> written by a woman. A You're nodding, Emma. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that that would be interesting. I was I was thinking the, the same about Ocean's Eight that it was incredibly tragic that the women basically went, went on a fashion heist. <laughs> you know, it was like that yeah. is the only thing women will be crooks for is to get free clothes and jewelry. <laughs> you know, what? Uh, I mean, Ghostbusters. I I enjoyed the male receptionist dynamic. Yeah, the Chris Hemsworth once again. He's a big Absolutely. big fan of the gender he's, flip. Yeah. He's good like that. I, yeah. I enjoyed him for his moments uh, on yeah. this as well. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think both those films have their merits, but I agree. Let's have them written and directed by women. That would be helpful, don't you think? Um, audience, do you have any thoughts about this? We'd love to hear from you. Are there any gender flip movies that you've liked or thought were terrible examples? There should be a roving mic. I'm not a fan of any of the gender flip movies, not because of what they are, just because I don't really think they've been any good. But I was just wondering, who do you think actually comes up with these ideas to gender flip them? Are they male studio execs or is it, who comes up with the ideas? Why aren't women just getting their own action films that are original and that they've written themselves, you know? Yeah, I mean, statistically, it's like to be, likely to be a lot of men involved in that discussion. And we must say there are many wonderful male allies here, so we don't wish to lump them all in the same boat. But um, in terms of those decisions being made, you can bet that it's partly because it is based on a big franchise and partly because we've already had successful films with women. It's bravery. Hollywood isn't very brave. Hollywood wants guaranteed hits and they think that if they take a successful franchise and do something a bit unusual with it, there's a greater chance of making money than something that quite that is unknown. And every year there is something like Lady Bird by Greta Gerwig that comes along and makes a lot of money and quite a lot of people are surprised that something original has made a lot of money. And yeah, so I, I think it's lack of courage, really. Yeah. Time for one more before we move on to the next section. I'd just like to say that I really, really loved Ghostbusters. I think it was a very silly film, but it was co-written by a woman, by the way, by Katie Dippold. And um, I always find that Paul Feig's films, I, I always enjoy the women in them. Like I think also Spy with Melissa McCarthy. I think he really bolsters women and helps showcase how funny they are. And um, yeah, so I just, I loved Ghostbusters a lot. And I think the fact that they weren't at all sexualized and they were just mm. cool, I think, especially yeah. like, if I was a kid growing up seeing that and like seeing, um, oh, I've forgotten her name. Kate but McKinnon. Yeah, Kate yeah. McKinnon's yeah. character. Yeah. I would have yeah. just had so much fun dressing up and that kind of thing, like with her funny glasses and the jumpsuit. It's exciting to think that the young girls are growing up watching that now, you know, and that's what I, I loved particularly about that. But I agree, Paul Feig, you know, if you're going to have a man director, he would be the man for the job generally. Good stuff. Thank you. I'm a nursery teacher and it's really good for me to see the girls in my nursery actually acting out female superheroes and things mm, like that. So from that point of view, I think it's really positive. I mean, I would like to cut down on the fighting a little bit that goes <laughs> along with that. But actually, you know, it's really good that, I mean, I've been a nursery teacher for 30 years and you've kind of seen girls being excluded from that genre, mm. but now they're actually able to identify with what's going on in the screen. And I think from that point of view, it's a really positive kind of... You know, that's like brilliant. That's uh, that's yeah. so wonderful to hear. They've been Captain Marvel. Is that who they're being? Or? Yeah, they're, yeah, and just yeah. things like go, you know the Ghostbusters and just mm. all those. You mm. know, so when we're talking about these flip movies, although we might cringe ourselves, actually for the young, these yeah. young girls, it's actually really nice for them to see. Yeah, and, and you're, you're right, because, I mean, also those big budget films are the ones that are going to reach yeah, that age group, yeah, exactly, isn't it, rather yeah. than the art has stuff. So. Yeah. I mean, the battle is fought in Halloween costumes, and I think you're absolutely <laughs> right. It's so important <laughs> yeah. to be able to do that and kind of 
to see it and be it and you know to see it on screen and realize you can have these powers and something like captain marvel was quite subtle in terms of mm. her gaining her powers her female friendship in that yeah. film you know the, oh, the main relationship was sort of between two women and that was very powerful to just watch and that just hasn't happened you know we do have a captain marvel special with interviews with both <laughs> both those two women if you like to listen to girls on film but thank you that's an excellent point thank you so much for that uh, next, I would like to ask these lovely ladies to shuffle up a little bit, please, because I am very pleased to welcome the fabulous Maxine Peake to the stage. Hello, Maxine. Hello. Thank you very much for joining <laughs> Girls on Film. It's a pleasure. On your home turf. <laughs> it's so good to have you here. I read an interview with you recently where you were saying you were pleased to be here because you felt like you were only dipping your toe in film, but I would yes. say that's... <laughs> yeah, I suppose as, a, as, a, as an actor. I suppose I'm known more for my television appearances than film, you know, and yeah. making that transition. Although I think the business is very different now, but, you know, I think that crossover is much more fluid. But it used to be very much you're a telly actor or a film actor, you know, maybe it's film and theatre or theatre and telly or sometimes just the anyway, you know, there's lots of um, pigeonholes you sometimes got yeah. pushed into, but it feels that it's opened up a lot more now so people can move between the mediums a bit. Uh, freer. That's good. That's good. One thing we've loved of yours recently was Funny Cow. Thank you. And I thought we'd start with that because is it fair to say there's a relationship between that and kind of your first interests in performing? Yes. The comedy side. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's Funny Cow came from a, a conversation with myself and Tony Pitts, who's an actor and writer, and we did uh, 1980, which was the um, Red Riding trilogy. It was the middle one that James Marsh had directed and there was myself, Paddy Considine and Tony Pitts and we were sort of a police team. Paddy was our boss and we just did, you know, ran along at the side of him going, you better have a look at this boss, that kind of <laughs> thing that you do. And Tony had approached me and said, a producer at the time, a female producer said to him, he said, I'm working with Maxine, he said, oh, I th she said, I think you should write something for her. And he came to me and said, have you got any ideas? And I said, well, I've had this idea for a long time. I've always been fascinated with uh, women on the working men's uh, club circuit because initially that's what, that was my first introduction to performance really, to, to live performance. And comedy was what I sort of thought I would end up doing, what I wanted to do, not right. acting, if I'm if okay. I'm honest. Yeah, right. Because it's, it's a bit more, um, it just felt more, more obtainable, I suppose. Oh, right, more achievable. And, uh, achievable, yeah. that's the word. Right. Yeah, there was just something about getting up. And as a woman, and in the 70s, in those very male-working men's clubs, and, I, you know, I mean, the one I used to go to with my dad is no longer... It's a, it's an Aldi now. But, <laughs> you know, even in the early 2000s, when it, it showed, it was still a very male, you know, sort of male compa, mm -hmm. male acts, unless it was, you know a double act male right. female singer or female singer not many still female comedians and I'd always had a, a fascination with Marty Kane I'd always been a big fan of Marty Kane I think when I was younger it was Victoria Wood and Marty Kane I know they were sort of had foots in different camps really in comedy but to me there were still these two amazing women who sounded a little bit like me Marty Kane didn't look anything like me she looked like a supermodel and then Victoria Wood who you know I don't want to insult Victoria Wood and say that she looked like me but she you know we were blonde we were northern a bit tomboyish or yeah. it was yeah yeah and when did the interest in dramatic fair come because 
that's probably what you seem to do more of now in a way like very quite intense when i first started acting everybody said oh you'll do comedy and if somebody tells me that's what i'll do because i'm such a contrarian then i go okay well i'm gonna have a go at something else then and i think it was i started off with uh, dinner ladies leaving a uh, drama school shameless early doors and then i uh, think i'll see no evil came up which was the uh, drama about the Moors Murders, which was about yeah. Maureen Hindley, played by Joe Froggett, um, Matthew McNulty's character, um, Dave Smith, and then their relationship with Myra Hindley, which was obviously Maureen's sister and, and Ian Brady. And I remember sort of battling to get that part. And then once I did that, then that sort of was it, really. It was harder to dip your toe back in. And, and as well, it's the scripts that come. You know, you don't right. want to do, just do comedy for the sake of doing comedy. You want a, 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 a good comedy, you know. Are you quite strict with yourself in terms of what you take if you think something is politically not acceptable, whether it's in terms of gender or politics, politics? Are you careful to say no or do you try to influence the character or the script at all? I think usually early on, I would just usually say no. Right. Unless then they want a discussion, why not? Why did you say no? Usually right. if I say no, then they'll think there's something within the, you know, you, you know, I suppose being quite open about politics, people then go, oh, is there something politically that you don't agree with or, or you know, about the gender or, or it's, you know, the narrative. But then sometimes you can get in a long running series and then things come up that you can then discuss. You know, I was really lucky with Peter Moffat on Silk. Yeah. that some things came up and I'd sort of go, oh, I don't feel comfortable doing this. Or I'm not so sure about that. Or what are you trying to say? And he'd go, okay, great. And you'd come back and you'd go, oh, it's gone. Or, oh, it's been rewritten. Or it's, and he was very open. And sometimes I was probably overreacting. I can do that sometimes. Um, but, you know, if you get a fantastic writer like Peter, who as well is one of those, actually you sort of have to remember when you're talking to him, he's, ab he's absorbing everything you're saying. And then you read a script and go, well, that's very familiar. <laughs> and he'll sort of log take it, it all in. Yeah, that's flattering, don't I tell him any. Don't. Oh, you've told him that'll be in a script now. But that's what makes him a, a fabulous writer. But yeah, you, you know, if you get a good team, you can. Um, you know, but then a lot of the time, especially telly scripts are written so quickly, and you get them last minute. And you know, sometimes the you have to choose your battles in a way. Yeah. And with Peter Lude, you suggested to Mike that you wanted to be in this. Uh, yeah, I wrote yeah. to him. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote yeah. to Mike. <laughs> Quite and, right. Uh, yeah, you know, but Mike's Mike Lee's fantastic like that i mean i wrote to him uh, this is my claim to fame when i was at drama school i did my showcase with sally hawkins where's she now hollywood um <laughs> wonderful sally hawkins and i said to sally we need to write to lots of people to come and see us so we did a, a playhouse creatures april d'angelis um Julog, and we wrote to nina gold and said to nina please come and see us in this show and then we nina then got us both meetings with mike lee and sally went off and Brilliant. And has had this amazing film career, Woody Allen, blah blah, you know. And um, and then yeah, and then I sort of waited for a bit, and then it took me a while. But the Peter Lou, but yeah, but Mike, when I did eventually meet him, you know, he always encouraged actors to write to him. Mm -hmm. He's, he will respond, you know. Brilliant. And even if you written ten years later, you meet him, and he'll, the letter will come out. He saves them all and fouls them all. He's very sort of thorough. That's so, not that's not a great surprise actually knowing so, his films. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And let's talk a bit about female directors. Carol Morley, The Falling. Yes. We love that film so much, yes. and um, you're tremendous in that. Thank Is it you. important to you to work with women as much as men in terms of the directing chair? I suppose it's about the collaboration. For me, it's about working. It's being on the same page, isn't it, with the people that you want to work with. Of course, I, when I find obviously the female stories, it's interesting what you're saying. I think the argument is that whole thing about women being in control of their narrative 
it's you know and i'm not saying men can't understand and direct but it's a lot of time when they go oh well it's about a woman so box ticked it doesn't matter if a man directs it and a man shoots it and it's a male crew and then sometimes you have to look at actually what are they saying about this female character what are they trying to get across but yeah i do seem to yeah more attracted to, to female collaborators the female collaborators i seem to work with a, a little bit more adventurous obviously like carol's a real sort of hauteur you know what i mean and and just got something really brilliant and fascinating to say. And your next film, Gwen, um, is coming out in July and July. Yes. So that is a gothic period drama set in the 19th century, and that's very female focused. It's very female, but again, written and directed by uh, the wonderful William McGregor. It originated from from Will, but it, it's a very female base. It's about Gwen, and Gwen is played by the amazing Eleanor Worthington Cox, and it's sort of a coming of age, really. But it's about her battle. Um, I play a mother and we have a small holding and the slate miners um, the slate owners who own the slate mine want to take the land so it's sort of a I think Danny Lee said it's like a Marxist uh, American wolf in London that was one of the best quotes <laughs> and I well said put. that's the kind of films that I yeah if anybody said what what would you like to be that's, but, that's uh, a good description yeah. um what else do we need to know about that you're working on Oh, so um, I start rehearsing next week. I'm doing um, the Nico project for Manchester International Festival. Round of applause, excellent, good, lots of support. Welcome here. and watch it. I'm glad you're so enthusiastic <laughs> about it. So about Nico, well, it's about Nico. It's not a biop. Um, it's it's a performance piece. Yeah. So the um, singer Nico, the velvet. So, yes. Yeah. So there will be a little bit of singing, some harmonium playing. We have a young orchestra made up of young women from the Royal Northern College of Music and. Uh, It'll be different, I think. Excellent. <laughs> say at the moment. I am sold on that. Everything you do is different, and that's why we love it. Brilliant. Will you stay with us for our next yes, section, which is the Bechdel test? But the audience will have a chance to ask some questions of you shortly. So, regular listeners uh, will know that we have a section where we put films to the Bechdel test, and this involves a little sort of feminist test. It's a bit tongue in cheek, but it has to be a film that um, has two named women that converse with each other about something other than a man. With time restraints this time, we've decided to have one choice each rather than a pass and a fail. Mm -hmm. So I think, Emma, your choice is a pass, am I right? Just about. I went to the website and it wasn't listed actually. My choice is Clueless. I know Clueless off by heart, so I'd probably go to one of those speak-along things that they sometimes have in, in cinemas because it was a coming-of-age film for me, for sure. So I thought, well, of course Clueless passes the test. But I think I find that actually it only just does because when the there are more than one girls obviously in in the film, but when they aren't talking about boys, they're kind of talking about makeup. There's that scene that if you are a fan of Clueless and you have seen it, there's the bits where they're talking about the books that they're reading at the moment and Cher's reading Fit or Fat. <laughs> <laughs> and also there there is another conversation in the film where uh, Cher is having a little bit of aggravation with Josh's present girlfriend. I mean, this really requires a, a level of, of insight and they're having an argument over whether it was Mel Gibson who played Hamlet or Polonius. So it actually is, is you know, yep, passes in, in, in terms of loads of fab female characters, 
but it kind of is a, is a bit dodgy. But does that matter? And is that significant? Oh, I love Clueless. I, I mean, Clueless is <laughs> still one of my... Clap if you love Clueless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's is, good about it? It is, it is still one of my all-time favourite films. Uh, it's partly because, of course, it's Amy Heckerling's brilliant adaptation of Emma, the Jane Austen heroine I was named for, though what my mother was doing naming me after some busybody. <laughs> that, wasn't, that, that wasn't the greatest of, of starts, really. But I think the writing is genius. And so even if they are talking about, you know, some incredible lines, so what did you do today, Cher? Well, Daddy, I broke in my purple clogs. I mean, <laughs> they, they're just absolutely genius lines. And there's a lot of heart to it, isn't there? With Cher Horowitz is, is a character with so much heart, despite it all. Yeah, and maybe you can yeah. see it as a little bit of a comment on the materialism of that time. It's not; it's, it's a little, very tongue-in-cheek, obviously, isn't yeah. it? Okay, Kate, you've chosen something which is on current release but relates to an older film, yeah. is that right? Well, in, in the, the nursery school teacher version of the world, I think this is very, very important. It's Aladdin, and um, mm. I was looking at the 1992 version, which my kids watched over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, Princess Jasmine's role was rubbish because most of the time she just got to say kind of, that's the wrong suitor, I don't want that one, he's a bit ugly or whatever, you know, so there wasn't much conversation between her and her handmaid. In the new live action version, she and the handmaid have many more conversations, but what sort of interested me about it is it's a quite a feminist rewrite of that part. And suddenly she has political ambitions and she wants to be the sultan or sultana. She wants to take over from her father. And there's a song, which is a sort of frozen style song they've inserted in there. And they've got the original composer to write, which is called Speechless. And it's all about a woman being speechless and they will not silence me and I will talk up about this and I will look after the people of Agrabah. Whatever you think about the film, that rewrite of that part just a little bit might make a tiny difference. Yeah, but it's Guy Ritchie directed, isn't it? So this is, yeah, tell, tell, tell us what you thought of the film as a whole. I'm curious to know. Um, I thought it was perfectly all right. It was quite a lot of fun and I'd always liked Robin Williams as a genie, but you know, it, it, it was definitely improved. And I think Naomi Scott was actually really good as Princess Jasmine, she has got real presence and she's pink Power Ranger and she's going to be in Charlie's Angels. And I think she's a really interesting actress coming up. I think she's got a lot of, lot of oomph. I'm always excited about a new Charlie's Angels <laughs> film anyway. Even though it feels like the last one was yesterday, I don't care, I'm excited. So yeah, thank you, Kate, because I haven't seen it. I was really curious to know about this one. Maxine, there's, there's a film that you want to talk about, um, Gloria. Yeah, my, I would say that's my favourite. Glory yeah, is my favourite yeah. film. Oh, I had the biggest impact. Tell us about this film, because again, I have no uh, So it's Gina Rowland's uh, John Casavetes. So it's about, yeah, Gloria, who's on the run. A neighbour sort of asks her to protect her, his child from the mob. Um, and then the mob decide that they're going to uh, kill the child. And as it says on the poster, but first the mob has to deal with Gloria. Brilliant. And they do. <laughs> and it's a I mean, Gina Rowlands is my all-time. I think sort of Gina Rowlands, um, Glenda Jackson, Billy Whitelaw are my sort of top, actually. But Gina Rowlands, I love that broad. She's playing abroad. You don't get those. You don't seem to get those characters so much anymore. Those women who, you know what I mean? And, I, and strong women. All women are strong. I hate that nonsense. Strong yeah. women. We're, you know, complex or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. it's just complicated. Well, we are. We're all really interesting. And <laughs> thank you very much. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's just the unsentimental right. uh, performance is unsentimental and it's 
it's sort of ferocious and 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 moving and funny and it's one of those parts that you think if I got ever got a part like that you could I could happily go you know well I was going to say I can, I'm sure we're all picturing you in the <laughs> remake of that right <laughs> come on you need to sort that out. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Okay, I'm definitely putting that one on the list. Thank you. Mine is a film that I saw in 1985. It was directed by Susan Seidelman. Stars Rosanna Arquette and Madonna. It is Desperately Seeking Susan. This is also showing at home coming up soon. And I just, uh, like probably quite a lot of people, became quite obsessed with this film after I saw it. It's very much about female identity. And even though the two main women in the film don't come together until the end, I don't think that's much of a spoiler because that's all from the trailer. It is about one woman who's fantasizing about living the life of another and living this suburban life where she feels completely suffocated but unable to do anything about it with this sort of boorish husband and sort of fantasizing about another woman's life and following her through the small lads which is this wonderful now seems very quaint way of keeping in touch with someone doesn't it but this film passes the Bechdel test in the very first scene let's have a look at that scene wow here it is a message from Jim huh Desperately seeking Susan. Keep the faith. Tuesday, 10 a.m. Battery Park, Gangway One. Love Jim. Who's Jim? Oh God, Tuesday is tomorrow. Who's Susan? You know these people? No, you see, Jim follows Susan all over the country. Last January she was in Mexico City, then then Seattle. They send messages back and forth. That's how they hook up. Now they're in New York. Desperate. I love that word. It's so romantic. Everybody I know is desperate except you. I'm desperate. You? <laughs> I love that. There's so much sort of mystery and excitement in that. Emma, you were nodding when I was talking about this week's Seeking Season. Are you a fan? Yes, I am a big fan. And I have to say that Into the Groove, what a great, great song. But you know what? I found out that it wasn't on the original album soundtrack. It's just Madonna singing it for a while, but it never made the soundtrack because of the rights over, over the songs. What Did a, not know that. It's a it's a gorgeous film. And one of the best I, I club really, scenes. I really, really love it. Oh, <laughs> well, yes, When that's absolutely. playing when he, comes, he walks in <laughs> yeah. to the bar. And I love the fact that actually Mark Bloom, as, as the, the, the husband, has some of the funniest lines actually in this. It seems like it predates the husband in Thelma and Louise, you know, that kind of like yeah. handsome but bit dim and entirely unsuitable. Clap if you enjoy Desperate Seeking Susan. Excellent. If you haven't seen it, um, you can come and see mm. it here or want to see it again, I mm. would, and in a heartbeat. It, it liberated oh, the bra strap. It was the yeah. film where you were allowed to wear your bra strap on top of your clothes for the first time ever. Is that what it was? And That's why I do it. it completely changed our lives. Yeah. Amazing. Anything else to say on that one, Kate? So no, that's the most important fact. I think it. that is the most important fact about that film. Um, that's in the fact that it is showing at home on 20... 1st, 23rd and 24th of July. As part of Home's uh, season of music films with Mubi, they're doing this thing called Sound and Vision Pop Stars in Film that runs from the 19th of July to 14th of August. And they're doing 16 films and talks that celebrate the phenomenon of casting pop stars in acting roles, of course, this being an example. They're doing uh, a talk about Cher, who I loved in Mermaids, um, I must say, the old Shoop Shoop song. We were doing that at Karaoke last night. Other films they're showing, Debbie Harry and Hairspray, Jennifer Lopez and Out of Sight. Any particular favourites, Kate? Have you got a favourite? I'm a big fan of Hairspray. I love that film. She's great. She plays the kind of bitchy, racist mum. And I think John Waters, the director, writes fantastic roles for women. I mean, one of my favourite movies is Serial Mum. Maybe that should be my hidden gem. <laughs> uh, just a, you know, a woman who assassinates people for wearing white shoes at the wrong time of year. <laughs> 
And I mean, I just completely adore that. And actually, ages ago when I, I worked in New York, I went to interview John Waters in his flat. And when you come in, and this is completely off the point, but he photographs you, takes a Polaroid of you and sticks it on the wall. And then you walk into the hall and there's the electric chair and he has a real electric chair in his hall. And then he says, do you want to be photographed in the electric chair? <laughs> and you go, no. <laughs> Um, so ever since then, I've deeply respected him and his work. <laughs> I'd be absolutely terrified. I'm glad you're still with us, Kate. That's a fascinating story. <laughs> Emma, have you got any right favourites? I don't have an anecdote like Certainly that. Certainly, I don't have any anecdotes yeah. like that. Thank mine, God. If we're, since, since you've, you've done Desperately Seeking Susan, which, which is great, I also love Out of Sight. I would really welcome a chance to see that on the big screen again because it was such a surprise that this was a good movie. I remember that uh, nobody really expected that much from uh, Mr X. ER at that point, George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez, a pop star and it's a really sexy film the yeah. chemistry, it's one of those few films where I think the chemistry is absolutely palpable between them and you come away going, yeah I believe that I, I really, really believe that and beautifully shot, the cinematography is, is gorgeous and rich and golden, yeah I'm a big fan and I thought J-Lo was actually fantastic in this film, I agree she yeah. was absolutely fantastic considering in the same era she was she was kind of writhing around on the sand in in her, in her videos as a, as, a, as a music star and no she she played a blinder in the sense that nobody thought that she would be able to act yeah and it was a and great movie I would agree with you I'd say if anyone is a bit skeptical given her more recent output watch Out of Sight because it is a really good film and she is fantastic in it so yeah steamy good stuff Maxine you've got one in this genre I think pop stars on film performance but it's, it? yeah, yeah it's not performance it's not fe it's, yeah it performance is, it is. performance yeah. performance yes. yes but that's again yes. it's a uh, it's an all-time. That's a favourite favorite of yours. Of mine. Yes. But I was talking to this? my yeah, talking to my partner today, who's quite a, an oracle on film, and he was saying, "Here's Lacano in Breaking Glass." Oh right, yes, yes. That's, that's one, one of the good his favourites. Yes, but Jagger in performance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is a to sort of catch the, the I mean, I wasn't there in the sixties. I might look like I was, but I wasn't. Um, <laughs> but to catch the atmosphere of the sort of like sixties in yeah. Notting Hill, there's something so evocative about that. Wonderfully the, bohemian, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it kind of yeah. And James Fox's performance yes. is yeah. yeah, so good. Yeah. Well, audience, let's find out if you have any favourites in this area. So, pop stars on film. We have got through quite a lot, but I reckon there are a few untapped ones. Um, I wanted to say, obviously, everyone would say this, but Lady Gaga in Star Is Born. And I was going to say that, but then I realised that everyone's kind of heralding that as her incredible acting debut. But American Horror Story Hotel, which isn't a film but that was like her acting debut. I think that was like even better a performance. She was absolutely incredible as the Countess for that entire season and every episode you were just waiting for her to be on screen. And I think that proved her way to get into then A Star Is Born, which everyone should see and it's beautiful. She's and, yeah. brilliant in that, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, like just the hair color and everything, that change alone, her entire face transformed and I think that obviously impacted her performance, that she can transform into so many things on screen. It's just stunning throughout. But yeah, watch Excellent. American Horror Story Hotel for her as well. <laughs> thank you. And episode two of Girls on Film, we talk about A Star Is Born. Just a little plug there. Right, thank you. <laughs> Do you think women pop stars have a bit more of a harsher critique than maybe men do? So I know in Pirates of the Caribbean, you sort of like is it Keith Richards plays Jack Sparrow's father or something and everyone's yeah. sort of like this this is great this is a, such a good character but then when women pop stars maybe do that sort of transition it's more oh does she think she can act now why doesn't she stick to that sort of role that she's always played and just sing it's a really good point anyone want to speak to that Maxine as an actor 
Yeah, but that's when women try and do anything, isn't it? That's what always gets <laughs> levelled at us. But then I've just Miley Cyrus is in um, the new Black Mirror, isn't it? And I know that performance is. I've not seen it yet, but I know everyone's uh, from what I can gather is doing fantastic performance. Yeah, I just but, saw yeah. it. I thought she was great. Yeah, she's really, she's really. That's a fantastic episode of Black Mirror, directed by a woman as well, and all the characters in it are virtually all women, and and you know all fighting with one another, and it, it's really, really. Interesting. Mm, brilliant. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Emma, any thoughts on this topic? If you, you might remember um, Amazing Grace, it was the Aretha Franklin performance mm -hmm. uh, documentary that came out a couple of months ago. And I was chatting to the director about why it hadn't been released for nearly 50 years because it was recorded in 1972. And uh, the director basically said there were many complex reasons, but there was an emotional reason which he suggested that Aretha Franklin felt, which was that film, it was for technical problems that that film wasn't released in 1972, that that film was supposed to make her a movie star. And there was an understanding that the studio was going to put her on screen, you know, that was almost like her big audition and it would follow up with movies. And at the same time, Diana Ross, her contemporary and Barbara Streisand were both being put into into films. So I think that music and film has always had a very interesting relationship. I think one has always sought to capitalise off the other. But I think there was very much a, a starlet slash pop star system in the early 70s that I hadn't realised existed. So that's just an extra thought, really. Yes, you still see a lot of... The Jonas Brothers seem to be everywhere, look, at the moment. So, yeah, it's still happening, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, as Maxine says, women are generally judged more harshly, I think, yeah. I always thought Beyonce's performances have always been great. I know this is probably quite a trashy film, but I watched Obsessed at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning on Channel 4, and it's got... Edris Elba in it and Beyonce and it definitely doesn't pass the Bechdel test but I really enjoyed it I don't know if you guys have watched it before no I, I'm not sure it came out in cin cinemas because yeah. we generally watch hence did the it. channel 4 yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah uh, I'm going to check it out I'm not sure it did but it's a thriller basically Idris Elba and Beyonce are married and then this white woman decides to kind of like break them apart and is obsessed with Idris Elba that's why it doesn't probably pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> and then kind of Beyonce, and um, she is a famous actress, but I can't remember her name. They kind of like fight it out at some points. But I just loved it. And I just thought, I just think Beyonce's just really good on screen. Dream Girls is one of my favourite yeah, films as well. Yeah. Good chat. Yeah. I never apologise for liking a film. That's what we're here, you know, we could go high or low brow. It doesn't matter, you know. Any more questions about anything else that we've spoken about? Anything for Maxine? Um... Kind of probably more of a question for Maxime, but obviously you're from round here. Um, what do you think of the changes to production round here? I know, is it Cat Liz from Nine Lives Production has started campaigning for more and more productions to be made in Manchester and more local northern writers and uh, northern uh, production crew to be employed in Manchester? Yeah, I think I've... Started up, um, I started a production company and we've got to deal with Qdos who started a production company in Qdos North now because they want to start, it doesn't have to necessarily be, I know, I know we're not talking about a company but it doesn't have to necessarily be a, a northern drama but dramas that they can viably film in the north and tap into local talent so that's good that those bigger companies are seeing the potential that's here. It's getting better and it's that thing as well, it's a lot cheaper to film up north than it is, London's getting so expensive now. You know, but um, yeah, I think it's like anything. There's still 
a, a way to go. And I know it's changed for actors because it used to be terrible at one point. If you're an actor based up north, you didn't get a look in for northern dramas. You know what I mean? Unless you're a big name. It was still, they went to London and then they sort of mocked up here, you know, with with the real authentic Northerners. <laughs> but it's, it's it's again, I think financially things have had to change as well. But yeah, it's, we still need to keep pushing forward with that. In terms of film criticism, I think it is really important as well because you mentioned film criticism and I think much as a lot of our members at the Critics Circle are in London, we do have other regional members and it's important that people aren't all lumped together and assume that they're in London. And it is really hard, like actors, to earn a full-time living as a film critic full stop, but it's even harder if you're not based in London. So I think it's wonderful to hear about any initiatives that are trying to help that and I'm always trying to talk to the Film Distributors Association to make sure that our members outside of London can actually see screenings and go and see films that they don't have to be based in in London because not everything revolves around London guys <laughs> um, but um, our regular listeners will know that I'm a judge on Bumble's female film force it's an absolutely brilliant initiative because they give £20,000 to female filmmakers to make a short film so we met up with like 10 different teams to pitch their films because the films haven't been made yet we met the other weekend and um, heard their stories about they're all meant to revolve around kindness respect and equality which I think are brilliant you know, reasons to make a film. So I can reveal the winners that we chose to make films. There's a film called Mom, which is about Queen Victoria struggling with postnatal depression which sounds absolutely fascinating. There's a film called Sunita, a story about a young black girl's relationship with her hair. Ascending Grace, um, which was a really funny pitch. These girls came in dressed as pilots and it's, it's, it's about a small plane with two female pilots, which is about to take off. It's a comedy. A French film, an animation about a same-sex couple managing health problems called Les Chagnuit. And Viva la Feminista, which is actually um, in Berlin. And this sounds really interesting. They're talking to children in Berlin of really different families. So from right-wing people to people living in communes and talking to the children and saying, what have you learnt about feminism and women from your parents. So those are the ones that we've greenlit. So I'm pretty excited. I might get some of those wonderful women to come and talk about that. So it's about supporting the future, right? And yeah, getting getting more films made by women. Um, any more thoughts on the panel before we wrap about how we encourage a new breed of female filmmakers and galvanise them? I think the thing is, particularly there are so many short film competitions around, but the other thing is just do it and you have a phone. And when you think about Tangerine, which was shot on the ancient iPhone 5, you know, with a microphone and what you can do. And I think, you know, just to put them up on YouTube to talk about them and for us to support them and try to see them is, is incredibly important. Definitely. Maxine, any thoughts for actors coming up as well as filmmakers? I think, as again, it's sort of similar. It's about do it, creating your own work now. You know, it's, I mean, it's that's all right. It's easy for me to say, isn't it? But it's about, you know, your brain's a muscle, acting's a muscle. It's, it's you know, if you're an athlete, you can go for a run in the morning. If you're an actor, you can't... Well, you could stand in your own living room and do it on your own, but it's about keeping yourself busy, keeping yourself agile if you can find you know groups of people get your own stuff out there try and 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 do what you can it feels that you know the boundaries are shifting now you know with the different media platforms but as well it's it's the responsibility of of people further up the ladder to give people more of a chance more encouragement more financial help you, you know what I mean just opening the doors and I think as women we have to talk about it. I'm all, I keep going on a bit as women we have to talk about it a lot don't we we're always asked for solving the problems but it's like just give 
people the opportunity, give those young women and young men, you know, the opportunity to do it. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. Well said. Um, Emma Jones, thank you very much. Kate Muir, thank you very much. Maxine Peake, thank you very much. Home at Manchester for having us, of course. Mubi for partnering um, with us. If you're not familiar with them, they're a streaming service that curates all the really good films. You know, when you go to a streaming service, all my friends will go, oh, I can't find anything. These guys pick all the good stuff and they put it out there. So um, if you want to get a free month for that, go to mubi.com slash girlsonfilm. Our next episode at home will be on the 3rd of September. So please put it in your diaries. And finally, a very big thank you all for coming and being Girls on Film. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Girls on Film. It's always a pleasure to have you along. Girls on Film is an HLA production produced by Hedda Archbold and Jane Long. We need to hire a woman. You're fired, obviously.